0: Well, good morning, Stonebridge. It's good to be back. Grab your Bibles and open up to the book of Galatians. We're in week two of our summer series where we'll be walking through verse by verse of the book of Galatians. We're finally taking a uh, good detour from looking at it in huge swaths of Scripture. And we're kind of back at looking at individual text uh inside of the book of Galatians so uh, it's really good to be back here and uh, I came here man months ago it's been a little bit a while ago and so it's good to see some familiar faces and it's really great to see a lot of new faces Uh, and so I thank you Matt and the elders for allowing me to be here so we're going to be starting in chapter two of Galatians Just to give you a quick backdrop as to where we're going this morning. The situation that Paul, the Apostle Paul, he is writing this letter to the church in Galatia. Okay, it's a region. There's lots of different churches there. And he's writing this letter to the people, to the churches there, uh, to instruct and inform them on some things. Now, chapter 2, we get this interesting look into a conversation that almost feels like you shouldn't be privy to. It's like getting to go behind the scenes, like close church doors into some of the the details, the tension, the intricacies that some of the church leadership talk about, fight over, discuss things over. And Paul is just outlining this for us So we can enjoy even today. And so while it might read as though, you know, minutes of an ordered meeting or something like that, the truth is there's incredible, great, great stuff inside of it. We're going to be looking at the first 10 verses. Uh, So, yeah, essentially, just to give you a, a one or two sentence overview, Paul quickly notices that in Galatia there is some false false teaching some false doctrine that is being taught amongst those churches and so he goes to Jerusalem to meet with the early church fathers like the original disciples of Jesus to have a conversation to see if what's going on really needs to be handled okay so we get it like a behind the scene example of this all right uh, now part of my being here even here on this Sunday morning I'm my title at Cornerstone Ames is a church planting candidate all right so Matt mentioned that I'll be planting a church Lord willing uh, next fall in Lawrence Kansas with KU Rock Chalk Jayhawk right <laughs> they need Jesus too. okay <Amen>. I quickly realized that it's going to take an outsider to go plant a church, because <laughs> anybody from Iowa State, there's just too much tension there. <laughs> so, uh, but part of my job is to like, let the DNA of Cornerstone just infuse in me, and so that we're sitting here for two years enjoying everything that is Cornerstone and Salt Company and some of the network churches like this morning. And this past year, we've been here for a year, has been literally the best year of my family's life. And we've learned so much, and we're looking forward to another year. So we're taking in these doctrines, these truths, these practices of Cornerstone, so that way when we leave, we kind of look, smell, taste (laughs) like Cornerstone. Okay, now the reason I use that reference, uh, I'll explain in a minute. Um, a few years ago, I got an opportunity to go help a church plant in northern Italy. Okay, so I don't know if you have ever traveled overseas and seen a McDonald's. And you had that thought of, I wonder if it tastes the same. Has anybody ever traveled overseas and eaten at a McDonald's? Okay, a few of you. So you know what I'm talking about. Now, in northern Italy, they, they prize themselves and, like, love horse meat, right? So I'm thinking, I wonder if they use horse meat in maybe some of their burgers. So we were in, like, a shopping area, and we saw a McDonald's in, in northern Italy, and we just thought, we have to. We have to just get a burger and see, Right? So we go up, we hand them a euro or however much it costs, and we get our burger and we like, we split it into like fourths so we're all standing there ready to take a bite at the same time to see if what's going on. And we eat it and we're like incredibly disappointed because it tastes exactly (laughs) the same. Like, hands down, no matter if it's Boone or Fort Smith, Arkansas, or somewhere in Florida, or Alaska, which I've eaten McDonald's there too, or Northern Italy, or wherever you have probably eaten it, McDonald's prides themselves. Now, this is not an advertisement for McDonald's, but they pride themselves on making quality control and uniformity across the board, that you're going to get the same experience everywhere you go. The gospel was being questioned in Galatia. And Paul is raising his hand saying, hang on, uh, there's there's some other things on the menu here. Like the ingredients are a little bit different. So he's going to go back to Jerusalem to ask that question of the leadership and say, I had the burger over there and I promise you it does not taste the same. In fact, it's very different. So I'm going to just work through what I believe to be truth. This is Paul. And so let's kind of jump in and see what happens. Look look at verse 1. I'm going to break. We're going to look at 10 verses. I'm going to break these verses kind of down into three different scenes or acts. Okay. So scene 1 starts in in verse 1. All right. Paul says, then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. Now, Paul had already mentioned, in fact, it was in verse 18 of chapter 1. He says, then after three years, if you know a little bit of background of Paul, after he came to know Christ on the road to uh, Damascus, right, he met Jesus His life got changed and he didn't immediately start ministering and planting churches. He went away for three years to like study and prepare. And then after three years, he went to Jerusalem and met with the church elders and leaders there. So he mentions that. Then he says after 14 years, so 14 years later, he goes back to Jerusalem. All right. To the original disciples of Jesus to affirm Not only his faith in Christ, but his teaching in Christ. Now, he mentions Titus specifically because of the situation going on in Galatia. We'll get to that in a second. Verse 2. Paul says, I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel of, That I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had run in vain. So Paul goes to the original disciples of Christ, the church fathers. Now we'll find out who those people are in just a few verses, okay? To confirm his teaching, okay? To confirm his doctrine. Now, you can kind of think about it. I'm going to use McDonald's probably a lot in this sermon um, because I think it's an easy, understandable translation. I don't know if you guys have ever seen the movie about McDonald's that just came out uh, where, like, they go through the whole journey. And it was a fascinating movie because it was based on truth. And essentially, Paul is taking his recipe for the gospel, and he's going to the original founder's, like of Christianity and saying, here's my recipe, here's my menu, is this right? Because if he had been doing it wrong, he says, I wanted to go to them to see if I had been running or had run in vain. He was hoping that he hadn't been doing this, the whole thing wrong for years. So he's going back to confirm the things that he was cooking, the gospel that he was preaching and teaching, was in line with truth. Okay? So, that kind of ends scene one. Paul goes before the founding church fathers of Christianity. Scene two begins in verse three. Let's continue. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Now, Titus was a Gentile Christian. Now, if you, I'll I'll explain it. There, for in the mind of a Jew, there were Jews, and then there were Gentiles. There were Jews, and then everyone else. So we, today, would be considered Gentiles, because we are not, well, I don't think any of us in here are Jew by race or religion. Now, if you are, then you are a Jew, right? But I am considered a Gentile, according to Scripture, because I'm not a Jew, So Titus was this young man that Paul had met on one of his missionary journeys and preached the gospel to him. He received the gospel, had become a Christian. You know, he's been born again, a Christ follower, and now Paul is bringing Titus, this non-Jew, like, come on, Titus, with him to Jerusalem to say, hey, here is this guy, and he's not a Jew. And kind of everybody knows in the room, if you're a Jew, he has not been circumcised. Okay, circumcision was the marker of covenant relationship between Jewish men and God. Okay, it was the sign. Titus did not have this sign. Okay, so the gospel was getting mistranslated confused things were being added to the gospel in galatia these people okay that we're going to hear from in just a second called false brothers they were judaizers they were preaching the gospel that yeah you need jesus but you also need to look and act like a jew first therefore you need to be circumcised You need to have the sign of that covenant before you can follow Christ. And so Paul takes Titus with him and says, ask him anything you want. Like you'll see that he is a Christ follower. You will clearly see that he is in love with Jesus and his entire life is full of the spirit. And he is ready to live his life for Jesus. Now, let's look at verse 4 through 5. We're going to read two verses next, okay? Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they, these Judaizers, these false brothers, might bring us into slavery. To them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you so these false brothers again they claim that you had to look and act like a jew first paul hears this and he is fiercely saying no 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 n-o that is not truth in fact he calls this slavery if gentiles need to look like jews before knowing christ it's imposing a slavery-producing betrayal of the freedom that Christ has Amen. given us. We have been set free from these agendas placed on us because of what Christ did on the cross. The only thing that we need is faith. You want salvation? You don't have to do something. You have to trust in Jesus. Now, we might read this and think, how dare they, right? How could these crazy false brothers and these Judaizers do and say such a thing about the gospel? How could they pollute it? Now, granted, they were wrong, right? They had completely changed the McDonald's menu, right? They're making different stuff back in the kitchen. They're producing different stuff and claiming that it is the original McDonald's, right? But they, they had robbed it. They had changed it. Now, granted, again, they were wrong. But I can kind of sympathize with them a little bit, even though they were wrong, which might sound very heretical from the stage. I don't know. They were trying to reconcile generations. Generations, okay, of life with god they had spent hundreds of years okay like developing this spiritual heritage that this was the sign of the covenant between us and god and when when christ came on the scene he just like, literally ripped apart the curtain and changed everything about what it meant to know god And let's be honest, our modern society, in a lot of ways, doesn't look a whole lot different than this scene. It may sound different, but at its core, may not be that different. We live among groups of faith that claim Jesus, but also claim other truths and attach it to Jesus. It's the idea of Jesus plus. Okay, the, yeah, 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 you need Jesus plus this. You need to have faith in Jesus, absolutely, uh, however, plus this other thing to truly be a Christian. And Paul is so compelled by the gospel that he's willing to fight for it at all costs because he knows he had lived the life of a Jew where he did everything according to the law and when he came to know Jesus and found freedom in that it set him free and he was willing to fight and do anything to rem- to let that burger <laughs> remain true to its original like ingredients and look and smell and taste that there was nothing that needed to be added to it i love at the end of verse five look back at verse five it says to them we did not yield in submission he's fighting even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be what preserved preserved for you preserved for us today so scene two ends We see that Paul fights for the truth that salvation comes only from faith alone in Christ. You don't have to do anything to earn Jesus' free gift of salvation. You just have to trust in faith. So scene 3 begins with verse 6. And from what those who seem to be influential... What they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, whom, who seemed influential added nothing to me. Now again, we're getting this read of like the minutes of an, uh, like a church business meeting. He's writing about the details of what's going on in this meeting. And he's mentioning these original church fathers And he kind of makes it sound like he's throwing them under the bus a little bit. You know, he says in parentheses, what they were makes no difference to me. You know, even though that they're esteemed men of of high leadership. Okay, Um, he's not necessarily throwing them under the bus, but he's recognizing their status of leadership while keeping things in perspective the way God sees them. These are just men who need the same saving grace of Jesus as Paul does. That's all. He's recognizing leadership, but also keeping in perspective the larger truth, the larger narrative. Okay, so ultimately, Paul is saying in verse five that they added nothing. To go back to the McDonald's reference, he went and explained all of his menu and all of his ingredients and told about how he built the burger and, you know, in like the corporate office of McDonald's, they're all just sitting there saying, hmm. It says they added nothing. It means thumbs up. Like that's perfect. There's nothing else we can say about the way you share the gospel because it's perfect. You nailed it. So they added nothing. These original disciples of Christ, the founding church fathers of Christianity, heard, added nothing. Okay? Now, let's begin again with verse 7 and continue on through 9. I love this. It says On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel, To the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. I'll explain that. Verse 9, and when James and Cephas," Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. So these founding Christian church fathers, who we now see their names, all right, this is John, the Apostle John, the Apostle Peter, and we see James. Now this is not James as in like James and John, the sons of thunder, okay, Uh, because we have kind of early historical record that James was killed. This is James, the half brother of Jesus. Okay, the guy who wrote the book of James, right? So these pillars, these founding church fathers, okay, uh, they not only affirmed Paul, but then they encouraged his ministry. And for Paul writing to the church in Galatia, he's doubling his point by saying that they not only affirmed his ministry to them as Galatians, but they uh, encouraged it because Paul... Yes, he was a practicing Jew and born a Jew, but he was also a Roman citizen that God had uniquely placed him to reach the Gentiles. So when it uses these references like uncircumcised and circumcised, basically Jew, non-Jew, Jew, Gentile. And Paul is saying that those church fathers looked at Paul and they said, dude, you are perfectly poised. Like, God has, like, in his sovereignty placed you here so that you can go out and reach the Gentiles. Because we feel that we've got to reach the Jews. Like we feel that that is our responsibility. But yours, my friend, is to go tackle that ministry. So, verse 10, the last verse we'll read this morning. Paul says this. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Now, I'll just be honest. The first time I read this, I was just like, well, that seems random and almost out of place, right? Here's all this behind the scenes, behind church doors conversations. And then we're just going to add a very quick, hyper-specific note to this whole conversation. Don't forget the poor. It's not random. In fact, it's very real and personal for Paul and the early first century Christians. Okay? Because poverty was a real thing. There were poor Christians in Jerusalem and all over the place. Widows, the sick, the oppressed. All right? We know from the life of Jesus that he was the chief example of feeding the hungry and healing the sick, meeting the needs of people, okay? So meeting the needs of people was high on Jesus' list, and it was also high on the early first Christians' list. I love that this verse is in here. I love that the Holy Spirit, that God saw it fit to include this one little tiny piece of narrative, Correct doctrine is never a substitute for Christian duty. I'll say that again. Correct doctrine is never a substitute for Christian duty. Too often our churches can discuss problems or seek wisdom on truth, but we fail to practically help the needy world. And for Paul, in this last verse in 10, this was a welcome reminder that he was already planning on doing that very thing. So there's three scenes that we looked at this morning. Scene one, Paul goes before the founding church fathers of Christianity. Scene two, he fights for the truth that salvation comes only from faith alone in Christ. Scene three. He gets affirmed in his doctrine and sent out to continue his ministry, ultimately saying that the people who were claiming Jesus plus were wrong. Now, what do we learn from this behind-the-scenes look at a church meeting? Like, what does God want us to walk away with from here? So there are three observations or three truths that I want to help you see according to these 10 verses. The first, and it might be the most obvious, Christ alone, not Jesus plus. This is so critical for us to hold on to today. The wonderful truth in this text about Christ alone, not Jesus plus, it was true for them and it's still true for us today. The only way to be in relationship with God the Father is to to have your sins forgiven, to have your eternity secured is through faith in Jesus. Not by doing this or that or this or the other. Not faith in Christ plus something else. This truth hasn't changed from being true for 2,000 years. It has still held it. People have tried to change this truth, haven't they? In fact, this truth is often put in the crosshairs. Are you telling me that the only way for me to be right with God is through Jesus? Well, that's, that's pretty crazy. It sounds like you're a bigot and you're judging me. Right. So this truth has been put in question, but that doesn't mean that the truth has changed. All right. God, his truth, God's truth doesn't adjust to culture. Okay, the truth of God, what we see in Scripture, it doesn't just adjust to culture whenever culture changes. Now, I would like to say that McDonald's hasn't done that, that they've been true. You know, but I can't say that. So I've got, I've got a picture of the original hamburger. Um, and what we now have is our McDonald's cheeseburger. So it wasn't even a cheeseburger back then. It was just a hamburger. Okay. You can see that very clearly that McDonald's has not kept what used to be true for them. All right they have in fact adjusted and changed as culture has changed to meet the ever-growing needs of us as people today. And if Jesus doesn't come back, I'm sure 50 years from now, McDonald's will look different even again. But God's truth does not change. It stays the same, and it challenges us to adjust to it we shouldn't challenge it to adjust to culture now the tension for most of us here isn't probably this big truth about christ alone i would imagine that the majority of us hear that and think yes i agree christ alone not jesus plus right but it's sometimes the subtlety of how we fight with this jesus plus you know, sometimes it's the smaller ways. Like, hey, if you want to be a part of Stonebridge, yeah, you need Jesus. Plus, you need to kind of look and act a certain way. Right? To be a part of this. You know, welcome, come on in. But, whoa, 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 whoa. If you're going to, like, be here, you need to shape up. Right? Jesus plus church attendance. Jesus plus being a good person, you know, we could go on and on with different examples of how the, the subtlety of Jesus plus really does wage war within ourselves because we are prone to being, we're fallen, we're broken people, sinful, we're all unified in that same truth. And as simple as the gospel is to trust in faith in Christ alone, sometimes we ourselves add to that, don't we? So if it really is Christ alone, that really is that truth, I would encourage us to take the posture of Paul and be willing to fight for this truth no matter what. Do you stand in your convictions of Christ alone and the other biblical truth? Think about it this way. If Paul had not fought this fight in these 10 verses that we see, if he had not done that, think about how different the early church would have potentially looked. Think about how different Stonebridge would look today, 2,000 years later, if Paul had not stood up and, and fought for the authenticity of the pure gospel. We might have some different, convoluted, strange Jesus plus church today. But because we see the Apostle Paul fighting for the gospel truth, we can continue to hold on to that today now for us today if there really is something of truth of value that needs to be fought for and God has put you potentially in the middle of that I would encourage you to not be afraid to stand firm I would challenge you by asking what kind of Christ follower are you In just everyday life, what kind of Christ follower are you when you're at work and you're tempted to laugh at that incredibly rude joke or maybe even tell that incredibly rude joke that's crass and demeaning and awful? What kind of Christ follower are you when you are tempted to listen and hear gossip and affirm it or even share it? What kind of Christ follower are you when you're alone with your computer Or your phone? What kind of Christ follower are you? What about when a dear friend is living in sin and you do nothing because you don't like conflict or are fearful? Are you a person of truth? And I understand that this can feel incredibly awkward to stand up for truth and to stand firm in it. The truth of God's life For you must be bigger than any awkwardness you may walk through. And your life and your actions will ultimately prove that. That God's truth is bigger than any potential awkwardness that I might face standing firm in this truth. You have to understand that Paul's concern wasn't the truth of the gospel first. Okay? Or, excuse me, was the truth of the gospel first. Not the peace of the church first. Don't miss that. Okay, yes, we should be people of peace, but not at the expense of truth. We are called to be people of truth in every area of our lives. So Christ alone. The second thing that you see on the screen is the plurality of church leadership is biblical. Now this is kind of, It's not really hidden, it's very plainly in there, but you may not have seen it as robust as the other theme, but I love that this is in here, this dialogue between Paul and the church leaders. Okay, In these 10 verses, we see the the grounds for fighting for biblical truth. And God has given us a way to see that exercised here in the local church. Paul didn't look at the original disciples and say, Forget you guys. I don't care what you think. I'm going to do whatever I think is right. Peace. He didn't, okay? He did not do that. He respected their place of authority, trusted their judgment, and submitted to their leadership. So here at Stonebridge, you have men that have been recognized as qualified elders of the church to serve in this very capacity. Now, you may not always agree with some of their little decisions or what you might feel is a big decision, but it is good, it's biblical for you to trust them. Always, of course, holding them to the standard of truth. Just like Paul was holding everyone to the standard of truth. Now, you will see this fleshed out, in the second half of chapter two next week, how this gets really personal as Paul has conflict with the apostle Peter, all right? But I would encourage you, pray for your pastor. Pray for Matt. God has given him shepherding over this place. Pray for him. Pray for the elders of your church. Get to know them. Let them love you and speak into your life. They are here to fight for truth and encourage you to be fully devoted followers of Christ. The third thing, the last thing, is unique giftedness. We see in these verses, don't miss this, that Paul was gifted to reach the Gentiles, the non-Jews, and that Peter was gifted to reach the Jews for Christ. They understood how in God's sovereignty, how God had uniquely placed them to leverage their life for the gospel. So my question to you is how, or maybe where, has God uniquely gifted you or placed you to make an impact for Jesus? Your life. Notice I didn't say, do you like Jesus? where God has placed you. I didn't say that because you're placed. Wherever you are right now, God is not in heaven just shocked. Ah! I didn't know they'd end up there. This was not part of my plan. He's not shocked. He knows exactly where you are and he wants you to leverage your life for the gospel with the people around you. Be active in your faith everywhere you live life, whether it's at work, in, in the home, at the gym, while you're watching your kids play sports, at McDonald's after church, right? Some of you are thinking, Big Mac, I just want that so bad. I've just like pavloved you into this like desire for <laughs> McDonald's. <laughs> Who is in your life that God has uniquely gifted you to reach for Jesus? Paul knew that his goal was to look and live like Jesus. Our goal is the very same today. For each of us, is to look and live like Jesus. It's not the goal, it's not the, the main thing for just pastors or for elders, but it's for all of us who claim Christ. So none of these things, fighting for truth, respecting spiritual authority in your life, individual calling, none of these things will happen if we don't desperately want to look and to live like Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, I want to say thank you for the gospel. Lord, I know that there might be some in this room, even this morning, who have not been to church, maybe ever, or maybe that's their first time back in a long time. I pray that they hear the truth of the gospel, the good news of you, Jesus, that it's just faith and trust in you, that they don't have to look and act a certain way and do a certain something. They just have to say yes to you. I pray that all of us would find just such a refreshing joy in that truth, that we don't have to perform, we don't have to look a certain way. Lord, but you love us for who we are. Lord, I pray for those of us that do claim you, that we would take our faith seriously. Jesus, I'm overwhelmed with the gospel that I can't believe you would die for me and pay the penalty for my sin. I don't know if I could ever understand it, but I choose to accept it. May my life be glorifying to you. I love you, Jesus. Amen.